when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Welcome to the Wannabe Podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm your host, Imri, and you may know me from Melanin Millennials. I'm back again this week with part two featuring Adrian Hon. If you haven't checked out part one, please do as we get a glimpse into Adrian's current challenge and how he chooses to overcome that. I wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone that has checked out part one. It's been so great. I've loved all of the feedback and all of the comments and shout out to the 200 plus people that went on to wannabepodcast.com and downloaded the nine long reads guide. I hope that you guys got some great inspiration and fresh new ideas from it. Anyway, just to refresh your memories, Adrian is the co-founder and CEO of Six to Start. He is best known as the co-creator of the international smash hit mobile app Zombies run previously six to start have worked with disney the bbc channel 4 and penguin and they've won multiple awards including best of show at south by southwest adrian also was a speaker at the ted conference and he's also spoken at tedx as well he's the author of a history of the future in 100 objects and he writes a tech column for the telegraph he used to work at cambridge oxford and ucsd as a trained neuroscientist, which is a little bit different. Um, so on today's episode, we discuss how and why Adrian decided to write his book, A History of the Future in 100 Objects, how he even came up with the idea, and how do you even plan a future of 100 objects like that don't exist, doesn't make sense, but he explains it and it's cool. Also, he has used Kickstarter quite successfully, not once, but twice, to fund his ideas and projects, including Zombies Run, which had the initial goal of $12,000, and they completely smashed it and raised 73k, which is insane. Also, Zombies Run now has nearly 4 million downloads and over a quarter of a million monthly active users. He shares some incredible advice on today's episode about how he built the team for Zombies Run, how he managed to get a massive, successful literary author to join him on this project. And he also talks about how he built the team without any programming knowledge, which is really difficult to do if you've ever worked in tech or you don't work in tech and you're needing tech advisors to build your tech team. Like, it's really hard. And he explains just how he did that. So let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today? 
and why? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I think I probably wanted to be, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, that was a lot of fun. It seemed like a nice uh, combination of kind of being an explorer and being a scientist and doing fun stuff and being famous. No, yeah. like, specific person that was like, this person has the life that I want. No, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Oh, not, wow. Not a specific person. Yeah. <laughs> the whole purpose of this podcast is to kind of help the listeners get from where they are to where they want to be in life. Um, hopefully through very influential and important and high achieving people like yourself. Um, and I know that you've done like so many great and interesting things, which is why I wanted you on the podcast. And I saw you speak at Episodic and you and Naomi were fantastic. So just to kind of follow on somewhat naturally from the book side of things, I wanted to talk about the Kickstarter campaign. So you actually sought out funding or crowdfunding and I feel like crowdfunding is something that's kind of popping up more and more and more and more and more. And loads of people are trying to get their projects funded through that. So can you like walk me through the process of why you wanted to crowdfund? Did you believe it was going to be successful? And kind of what were your kind of steps to kind of not only achieving your goal, but you overshot it by quite a bit, it, it seemed. Yeah, I've used Kickstarter a few times and and I used it for the book uh, back in, I think, 2010 or 2011. And we used it for Zombies Run. Mm -hmm in 2011 as well and it you know this was it doesn't sound that long ago but this was back at the time when simply the act of doing a kickstarter would get us news on the bbc news <laughs> yeah. so, so so like it, it didn't matter what it was people were just like wow have you heard of this crowdfunding thing check out this zombie game that's that's crowdfunding you know and, and they have to sort of explain what kickstarter is and what crowdfunding is and and uh, you know it's there's a very specific reason why we did it for zombies run yeah and that's because there's no way we would have got the money otherwise <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's as simple as that like you know, if we went to investors mm. and we said okay we have this idea for a game where you run in the real world away from zombies and you have this audio and so on can you give us a hundred thousand pounds or fifty thousand pounds or whatever i mean they would have said no for sure. Um, <laughs> did you try that and they did say no? Or? I didn't I didn't even try. And, okay. and you could say, well, maybe I should have tried. Well, here's what they would have said, uh, because I, I do know investors. They would have said, well, what other games are there like this, right? Uh, you know, are there other running games that have been successful? Are there any other audio games that have been successful? And if there haven't been, then we're not going to give you any money. Right. Um, because they would sort of base it half on that data and half on a hunch that it just seems a bit too strange. Um, and of course, if we did go to investors, then it would have taken several months probably to put together a pitch deck and talk to people. And then if we agreed, then they'd obviously want equity in the company. Yeah. Um, and then they would probably want to sit on the board and all of that. Uh, and that's not unreasonable. I mean, they're giving you money. That's fine. But that's something that, that would have had to happen. And it would have been very um, expensive, really, because you'd have to hire lawyers and so on. You don't get you know, investment for nothing. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> and, and we would have had to give up part of the company. And I just, you know what, I just really didn't like the idea of having to go around all these investors and try and sell them on this idea. Because it just didn't, I, I mean, I'm going to, well, I don't think the London investment community is really that smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I don't mind saying that because like, <laughs> I guess the, um, a lot of the people in London who I talked to unfortunately came from the finance world 
And so they see things through the lens of spreadsheets. And you and you do have to use spreadsheets. You have to, if you're an investor, you have to make sure, you know, you're going to get a good return mm-hmm. and that the companies investing know how to, you know, do a balance sheet and projections. At the same time, they're very kind of unimaginative. Um, wow. So so anyway, that's why we didn't use an investor. We went to Kickstarter um, because I wanted, I thought we had a great idea. And I wanted to put it in front of normal people and see whether they liked it. And it turns out they did. And if it didn't work out, then we wouldn't have lost that much time. Awesome. Um, how much were you initially looking for with Zombies Run in the first, in the in the very beginning? So we asked for twelve thousand five hundred dollars, which was so little money. That's so <laughs> tiny um, for an app. It's, <laughs> it, it's so tiny and. And, um, you know, look, on Kickstarter, most people ask for far less than they actually want to get. And that's not necessarily a good thing to do, but that's just realistically what people do. And so we were hoping we might be able to get like 30000 or $40,000, um, which would have been just about enough. But instead, we got five times our, our target. We got $73,000. And <laughs> kind of more more important than that it came from 3000 people which was just crazy because that's 3000 people who are paying money for something that doesn't exist yet you know yeah. like um it, it was just an idea and people were paying not a lot of money but like 10 20 dollars towards this idea and it it really spread on twitter and facebook people loved the idea and it got coverage on cnn you know on npr all these different places and so that told us that wow um people really want a game like this and we should drop everything else we're doing and focus on this that's a really bold thing to do after successfully crowdfunding i mean i can imagine like were you ever nervous about the idea of kind of just like stopping everything else that you would have had going on which i imagine may have been a little bit stable well i mean i was kind of sick of doing the other stuff anyway so it was probably it's probably wasn't a bad time to do it but um you, you know we we felt that if people were willing to spend seventy three thousand dollars on something that didn't even exist surely when it did exist we'd have people we'd have far more people who would be um who'd be willing to to give us money um assuming we could do a good job of it right yeah. and so you know the fact is, is that the work that we were doing before that, which was kind of digital agency stuff, so work for hire. So yeah. people at the BBC and Channel 4 and Disney would pay us money to consult or to do projects. That was fine, but it was anyone who's kind of done work for marketing agents or an ad agency knows what that's like, where you sort of go from project to project. And after a while, it gets a bit, I don't know, um, tedious. It, it can get, it gets a bit tedious, you know, yeah. because you don't have ownership over the project. I think even if you're paid a lot of money, you're just a hired gun. And I think that uh, I I think that most people who work in those companies um, eventually want to make their own thing, um, and they might do it in their spare time. It doesn't need to be the company. But I think that people people creative people or most people like to make something that they can call their own. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm definitely one of those creatives that just hops around. Uh, I I mean I I've always admired writers. Uh, you know, I think that I, I don't, you know, I don't know why that sounds like a strange thing to say. Uh, I've always been really inspired by fiction and science fiction and things like that. And people who think about the future, um, that's one 
um, writer, one author, Kim Stanley Robinson, who has done a lot of writing about about the future, but also just about the, the environment. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just love his kind of optimistic. Well, it sounds like he's a Pollyanna. I love his outlook on life and the way he's able to kind of blend in together science and art and humanity and, and things like that into his writing. And I think that, you know, he was very inspiring to me. I think he's been very inspiring to a lot of people who've read him. And, you know, I'd like, uh, I'd like that he's able to do that. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never heard of him before. And I naturally assumed it was a woman when you first said his name. So shame on me. I know. Yeah, it is. A, it is a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder, so did you ever kind of, when you were thinking about um, writing a history of the future in a hundred objects, which is almost an oxymoron when I say it out loud, um, <laughs> were you thinking of kind of his work? Was that an inspiration for you then? That was definitely an inspiration. Yeah. I mean, not a sort of direct inspiration. So, so the book, A History of the Future in a Hundred Objects is directly inspired by um, this British Museum and BBC uh, radio show called A History of the World in a Hundred Objects, which was this really, really popular radio show, I guess kind of like a podcast, although it was sort of before podcasts got really big, Yeah, where they had a hundred episodes and each episode was looking at a specific object from the British Museum from like 40,000 years ago, like an old hand axe to, you know, a sort of salt cellar from the Renaissance to a solar powered lamp, you know, in the modern day. Mm. And I really love that idea. It just seemed a really interesting way of, of learning about history and of telling stories. And I thought, oh, wow, what would the next hundred objects be, you know, for the next century? And so the kind of form of it was inspired, obviously, by by that radio show. Mm hmm. Um, but I think the attitude that I wanted to take was inspired uh, a lot by Kim Stanley Robinson, but also by other science fiction writers who kind of try to think about the future in a way that isn't, you know, just dystopian, because yeah. obviously a lot of the ways we think about the future are really depressing and it's just going to be, you know, like an apocalypse in the future uh, or, you know, utopian um, where, I think a lot of people from Silicon Valley just assume, well, if we just have this technology and if only people got along, then we'd all live forever. And I think I find that really sterile and I don't find that particularly interesting. Yeah. And so I wanted to do it from a very human point of view. And because those are, you know, I think that's a more interesting way of doing it. I don't think it's been done quite as often. And I wanted to do it in a way that is rooted in um, generally possible science and technology. Yeah. Although I think that I found it quite difficult as I got further and further into the future in 2060, 2070, 2080, because, yeah. you know, if you if you think about if you lived in 1940 or 1950, some things that we have today probably would seem kind of maybe maybe understandable things like just a better TV and better movie screens and that sort of thing. Mm. And I think some things would just seem almost magical i mean the obvious answer would be like an iphone but even things like gps ai that sort of thing would just seem very crazy and i think that if you went 50 or 60 or 70 years in the future um i i doubt our ability today to really predict what what's going to happen at that point this is nicole hannah jones creator of the 1619 project from the new york times magazine the project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. 
But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the future. Um, actually, one of the future guests of the show is a futurist called Natalie Kane. Oh, yeah. Um, have, you, have you heard of her before? Yeah, I think I may have met her. I'm not sure. She's super cool. Like, she does so many cool things. And I think she's worked with Changest. Um, so after the crowdfund, you had this great hypothesis that if people wanted something that did not yet exist, surely... Uh, when it did exist, more people would want it. Did that end up being true? What happened next? Yeah, it was totally true. I mean, I, 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 I we were very fortunate. I think we had great timing um, mm. with the game. And um, we made a very simple game as well, which um, I think only now have I, have I really realized how important that is. Um, the game, we made the game in six months, which is crazy. That's it's crazy so fast. fast. We've never made a, another app that quickly. And I don't know whether I'd recommend it. it it's probably too <laughs> quickly. But but what that meant was that it forced us to be really disciplined about what we made. And I don't think we made a game quite that simple since then, um, which is probably a bad thing, although we are trying to sort of go towards that simplicity again. Mm. And the reception was amazing. People loved it. You know, we, we you know... I'm trying to remember quite how much, you know, we made like a million dollars in the first year or something like that. I don't know. It was, it was a lot of money, certainly more money than we'd seen in the company for a while. And um, it was certainly like in the high six figures that we made in the first year. That's and it, it was just, it was simultaneously like so delightful that we'd made something that people enjoyed so much and that we could call our own and that we could change and update you know, without having to sort of talk to a client. And we were always worried that some other company would go and make, like Nike would make a sort of Zombies Run yeah. clone. And as it turned out, no one actually did that. Um, I, I wish I could go back five years in time and just tell myself, by the way, don't worry about the competition because like there's not going to be any. Yeah. I think um, what you were saying about not having competition, I mean, you're quite fortunate that you don't have many people trying to kind of imitate or copy what you're doing on like a larger scale or like a bigger company being like, I want to do this. Um, that's not always the case for a lot of companies um, starting yeah. out. Um, I I, th- I think I was watching Print the Legend um, on Netflix, which is about three 3D printing companies. Oh. Um, like MakerBot, I can't remember the other two. Um, MakerBot stood out the most tough. I think that's what it's called as well. Um, and like how, you know, Two of them were like really small, scrappy startups, but you had these massive corporations trying to build that were doing that job. They were printing that, but they were doing it on an industrial, medical and military scale Um, Mm. and they were doing it for the consumer. And so it wasn't going to take much for them to kind of just switch gears, which is essentially what happened. Um, And one of them did try to squash one of the startups with like patent lawsuits and stuff. So I think, yeah, like there are there's kind of those two extremes where it can happen um you're quite fortunate do you do you ever wonder why like no one else has tried to do it well i, I mean uh, i'm exaggerating a bit there have been there have been games that, that have kind of more or less sort of cloned or copied what we tried to do mm. but no one's ever heard of them because they they haven't been very good um <laughs> and and so i think that i mean to, to be perfectly honest um you know, we've never been that big enough of a target 
Yeah. Right. You know, if, if Zombies Run had made like tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, which I can assure you it has not, um, then you'd see clones all over the place. Okay. Um, but uh, it's more than a lifestyle business, but it's not It's not sort of making, you know, tens of millions. And I think if it was, then you'd probably see more people doing it. But the other reason why people have found that very difficult to compete is because we made a game that requires a really unusual combination of skills. Obviously, you need developers, yeah. and it's it's always hard to find good developers. Um, we also need good writing, good storytelling. A lot of people think that Zombies Run is just like groans in your ears, but actually it has a really fantastic story by Naomi Alderman, who yeah, she's you know, awesome. is legitimately one of the best literary authors like in the UK and the world right now. Um, you know, Amazing that we were able to get her. And, and also you need great sound engineering and great audio direction. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I, you're right, actually, um, pointing out, like, there's so many different moving parts. And you're right, like, Naomi explaining the storytelling side is insane, like, it's so detailed. It's so well done. Um, there's a lot of like audio in and of itself can like, I know a lot of people think it's like super cheap and <laughs> I mean, in comparison to other mediums, it is, but it's it is still, cheaper than TV, yeah, yeah it's still it's cheaper still... than most things, but it's still pricey when you want to do it well, <laughs> like yes. doing yes. it well is not cheap. Um, yeah. the equipment is not cheap. It's not easy to navigate unless you have like experienced people. So, I mean, I think, what's really interesting is you you did touch on the people side of things like so what was your process of getting those the right because developers i've done the the shopping for developers in my life and it's (laughs) tough there is oh it's just it it can be such a nightmare for some people um but developers how do you go about finding good ones what what kind of qualities were you looking for what was your vetting process for that and then also on the storytelling side Um, yeah like how did you then build up the team like the dream team that's making this such a successful entity now I mean those are good questions to ask I I think one of the hardest things for someone who's not technical is how do you find a good technical person Mm -hmm. right Uh, it's it's like you know if you're trying to find a good builder and you're not a builder like how how do you find someone who's good you know because you have no programming skills like I'm not a programmer but I mean I'm lucky that I do know enough to be slightly dangerous (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, I, but because I have done a bit of programming, I, I learned a bit when I was at university. Um, and I think more importantly, I have friends who I know are good programmers. And the reason why I know is because I get paid a lot of money. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, that um, 
we did when we were hiring people first at six to start was that you know we were able to you know use our friends network of people who we knew were good programmers to vet interviewees okay that's smart um and so because like if you can't do it yourself then you need to get help yeah absolutely you know don't imagine that you can sort of somehow suss out you know who's good and you know that's not necessarily something that is easy to do i mean for us you know for the founders of six start that was not too hard because we you know we're really interested in you know development and you know apps and the internet you know for, for years and years um but i think if you just come to it like just just on the spur of the moment then yeah, yeah it's going to be harder to do that um in terms of writing again similarly you know um i remember i first met naomi before she'd even published her first book and we could tell back then she was a great writer um and we got on really well but we've worked with other really good writers since then and i think that good work attracts good people yeah i, I think you know we, you know we've never had a massive problem in hiring people to six a start since we made our first games that won a lot of awards um and since zombies run um because we would just go and say hey we're looking for programmers we made x y and z you know who wants to work for us and people would look and and you know programmers yes they want to be paid like everyone else but they also want to work on interesting and worthwhile projects yeah and they could tell from our company that that that's what we did that's really cool i love that you mentioned that you used kind of your the track record um i think that of that really gets overlooked a lot of times that people are attracted to people that have been out here doing the work. Um, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that are probably listening that are just kind of getting their start, but I think anything that you can do to highlight that you've done something before that was at least remotely interesting, it could be something small. It will attract someone that that the the person that you need at that time will come forward. Um, And then obviously um, just preparing for inevitable people kind of growing out of what you're doing and going yes. off and doing various things because that's the natural cycle of, of being in business. Absolutely. Um, all right. Um, and finally, just to close out the episode, I want to know what was the best business advice you've ever received and what was the worst business advice you've ever received? I think the best business advice is having an elevator pitch, which, which irritated me so much when I heard about it, you know, um, you know, this should be, uh, and not just a normal elevator pitch, it should be a way to describe your product or your service to not, not an investor, but to a normal person, to the customer in about one sentence. And I always got irritated when people told me to do that because I thought, you know, I'm a complicated guy. I I have like complicated ideas and I can't sum (laughs) up in one sentence. And the the truth is you have to, like you have to do that. If you can't do that, then you you don't have the right idea yet and you're not going to be able to market it. So that's the best piece of advice. I only really realized it after quite a long time. Fair enough. Um, The worst piece of advice. That's, that's a tough one. Um, Okay. So here's, it's not, I don't think anyone told me this, but it is a sort of general idea floating around out there, which is, um, which is that you can sort of successfully pivot from being a kind of work for hire person and, and spending like 20% of your time working on something else to becoming, you know, 
a person or a company that sort of makes their own stuff. And I think that's actually really, really hard to do because I think the skills involved in, you know, doing work for hire are very different from making your own thing. Yeah. And I think if, when you make your own thing, you, you kind of have to do that all or nothing, you know, and that might be doing it in your spare time or making a very small project that you can sell on Kickstarter for like a thousand pounds or something. But I think that that you need to sort of commit, I guess. And that doesn't mean quit your, it do, definitely doesn't mean quit your job. <laughs> um, it, it just means like making a thing and and selling it for money. Yeah. Or, you know, preferably for money. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't give things away. I just think that when you sell things for money, you can tell whether people actually like it or not. That's a really good point. They, rather than they're just being nice, basically. Yeah. Some of the best advice I personally received um, was that unless someone is paying you money, for your product or service you just have a hobby you don't have a yeah. business yeah. um so yeah i guess that definitely stands true <laughs> from what you've said all right adrian i think that's about everything um for the podcast so thank you so much that was awesome no not at all thank you So there you have it. That was Adrian Hon, the CEO of Six to Start and Zombies Run. I hope you guys learned a lot about funding your projects through Kickstarter, how you manage and build a development team, and also how you manage to juggle the position of CEO and being a creative. Adrian is a very great guy, so I suggest you follow him at Adrian Hon on Twitter. So let's move on into some quick reminders at the end of this month i will be joined by brand and marketing expert prisca moyesa the founder of moyesa co every month we'll answer your questions on branding marketing your careers and freelancing so if you have any questions or problems that you would like us to answer please head on over to wannabepodcast.com and click on the tab ask prisca and you can submit your questions there or you can just email them to me at wb at shoutoutnetwork.co.uk all of the information are in the show notes i also want to remind you to subscribe and leave reviews on itunes obviously some of you may have found me on the massive banner on itunes which is really great and really cool But in order for me to kind of maintain my position, I would like for you to leave a cheeky review. So please get on doing that. Thank you so much. Uh, For everyone that's subscribed, massive thanks. And anyone that's left feedback, I love it. Thank you so much. And to the 200 plus people that have downloaded my nine long reads guide to spark creativity. Thank you so much for doing that. I hope that you generated fresh ideas and brand new creativity from reading them. I certainly enjoyed putting them together and I definitely left with some really great insights from those articles and short stories. You can still get a copy of the Nine Long Reads Guide. It's completely free and you can do that by going to wannabepodcast.com and just pressing get your copy. Right, I think that's everything I have to say for today. A massive thank you to the Shout Out Network for producing the show and a huge thanks to you guys again. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.